You're listening to Solid Sound, and we're talking tunes with Dave Skywalker. How you doing, mate? I'm very good, actually. Yeah, looking forward to coming out of lockdown and all the rest of it, like everyone else, and it feels like spring's on the way, so it's all good. It is all good, isn't it? But I think in the UK, you're a bit ahead of us over here in Ireland. Yeah, sorry, I'm a couple of weeks ahead. Not, not too far ahead, but it, it got a good summer on the way, I think. Absolutely. starting out with ABBA Super Trooper a lovely tune man I love ABBA yeah they're not bad it's, it's an interesting way to start because uh, you know ABBA became popular after Eurovision Song Contest and of course uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is the uh, the remix album for this year's Eurovision Song Contest oh man come so on it's, it's, it's quite a nice way to start off the uh, this little selection of tunes straight into plugging your products mate I mean come on let's, let's talk about the book later on right you know and that'll be where I end up as well <laughs> <laughs> I promise that'll be the last plug maybe of the show yeah of course yeah that remix everything uh great thing i mean you're doing that that's your third year of doing that now this year it is and this year i'm actually remixing the um, the irish entry as well i've got an extra reason to be on top of my game this year i had a go at that last year and i just man i've just got no talent for, for, for music it's really annoying but there we go yeah uh, but I, did, I put mine in and i remember your lovely wife was saying oh my god what the fuck? <laughs> It was, it was, you know, it was in good faith that she said that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I don't mind, I don't mind at all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, ABBA, Super Trooper, why'd you go for this one? Yeah, so, I mean, when sort of you asked me about being involved with the selection of tunes for tonight, I thought, well, I'm going to pick tunes that mean a lot to me, and this is the earliest track that I ever really remember hearing and, and knowing what it was. Oh, I'm a child of the 70s, or I was born in the 70s, and my parents had the ABBA album, or the, the Super Trooper um, vinyl, and it was the first record that I really remember sort of holding and recognising as a tune, and I remember my mum listening to it a lot in the lounge, and I'd be there sort of hearing it, and and at the time, I remember there was a program on ITV here in the UK called Razzmatazz. <laughs> and uh, Abba, Abba was on there. I'm going back a bit. But, um, Abba was on there. And um, yeah, I must have only been about three years old. I was born in 78 and nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super Trooper came out in the, the end of 1980. Uh, so this must be about 81 or so like that. Yeah, and it's the first track that I really remember hearing and sort of uh, recognising. But uh, it's inter- it wasn't until later that I recognised that Super Trooper's actually the name of a spotlight. So the whole song is about a light in a disco, which is a bit of a weird concept. But I suppose if you're Abby, you can sing about anything. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I never really thought about what Super Trooper actually meant. Like, yeah. I love their writing style as well, just ABBA. Uh, I mean, I think it was the two guys that did it. It was Benny and Bjorn that did all the writing. And just everything they do, just the melodies and everything, just... Man, I don't know about you, but whenever I've listened to too much, I want to just chill out. This is definitely a chill-out album. Oh, definitely. And the thing was, you know, I don't think many people know that ABBA was essentially two married couples that ended up getting popular because of Eurovision, as I said. And in the end, just the, the toll of becoming that big and that popular destroyed both their marriages. And then you hear it in their later tunes and how the tone of their music gets quite darker towards the end. I must admit that I've never seen Mamma Mia or anything like that, and I'm quite happy to never have watched it. So, uh, Oh, mate, it's a good film. Yeah, well, I think my wife's seen it, but I, I haven't seen it. I'm not, I'm not quite sure that I can bring myself around to some of the scene that I've heard is a bit maybe off. I don't worry about <laughs> that. I won't worry about that. And what I like about that film is the fact that whoever put it together put all the songs together in a really good way, almost like the music was written for the film. Yeah, yeah. Really well done. Anyway, Vietnam, man. I've got to listen to this intro, it's so good. Give me an F! Give me a U! Hope this doesn't get bleeped. No, it won't get bleeped, no. No, no, it'll get worse than this on the radio, man. What's that spell? What's that spell? So, yes, this track is Country Joe McDonald's, or also known as Country Joe and the Fish. Um, And I particularly picked this version of the track, which is from Woodstock in July 1969. The track's actually from 1965. But again, this is a track that, again, is one of my earliest memories of listening to music. My parents, again, are both big fans of Woodstock and those kind of that kind of 60s music. It was only a decade before I was born. 
um, and my mum again had Woodstock on VHS mm-hmm. um, and she would often she would often put it on TV and well my dad was at work or something like that and she'd say you didn't hear that intro you didn't hear you didn't hear how it starts you know just pretend you didn't hear that <laughs> um, yeah and this was one of my favourite songs and then obviously because you end up listening to a lot of the same music that your parents do when you're a child and getting into that kind of music I know my kids know a lot of 90s dance music but uh, but yeah that, my parents listened to a lot of Woodstock and I used to listen to stuff like uh, Mamas and the Papas uh, again one of the earliest tracks I heard which I wanted to put in this list actually but I didn't quite get around to it was um, California Dreaming oh yeah man yeah. I do like a lot of that kind of music it's an amazing track but yeah I mean it, it, obviously the intro to this started off with Give Me an F Give Me a U um, originally it was Country Joe and the Fish uh, and the intro was Give Me an F I-S-H because in the 60s you had things like the Berkeley Free Speech Movement of the mid 60s in America where I know um, Country Joe McDonald himself he got fined $500 for saying fucking public that's how you know how things were at that time and because of the free speech movements fish became fuck and then at Woodstock obviously they were all encouraged to, to say fuck over and over again and then it was this whole song about Vietnam and my dad was in the American Air Force as a civilian and a lot of my parents friends were American I'm named after one of their friends who was in Vietnam so I had quite an Americanized upbringing and this was one of the songs that I heard a lot as a child and it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven, open up the early gates. Well, wow. this is the third time I was thinking that I've had you on the radio and done an interview with you, and I never knew whether you were named after one of your father's friends. Like, that's cool. Yeah, I still keep in touch with them, actually. Even though my parents have passed away, I still keep in touch on Facebook with them. They're over in Florida at the moment, um, and I've got family who live in Texas, so I've got a bit of a, I've got quite a bit of an Americanized upbringing. Um, maybe that's why I live in Milton Keynes now, because it's the most American-style town in the country. <laughs> that's maybe got something to do with that. I don't know, but I love the whole thing about Woodstock as well, and the whole vibe, and how it all came together, and how disorganized it was in the end. I went to Fatboy Slim on Brighton Beach in 2002, and that's the closest oh, wow. I think I've ever experienced anything in this country mm. to how it was, how Woodstock was in terms of, it was an organized event, and then it just went crazy, and nobody could control it, but everyone had an amazing time. It's like a quarter of a million people turned up to Brighton, didn't they? It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fatboy Slim, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got there early in the afternoon on the Saturday, because I was staying with a friend who lives in Brighton, and you could tell by about four o'clock that there was way more than 60 odd thousand people there which was the most that the police were expecting and it was in it was insane but it was one of the best nights of a band i remember you told me that before you played dial festival uh, you were playing to like eight thousand ten thousand people you said last time you really remember bricking it before going on stage can you imagine playing to a quarter of a million yeah you'd just be like ah, whatever like you know I can't, I can't even imagine you know like so there's only there's only been twice i've ever been physically sick before djing and once was before my first ever set and once was at our festival <laughs> I don't, i've got i've got no worries in admitting that gotcha yeah anyway you go, so you go from so you go from one of the best what on earth's going on yeah things are going to um joe dolce <laughs> <laughs> so this there's a lot of firsts at the start of this these sort of selection of tracks so this was the first record that i ever remember owning it wasn't the first record ever bought that's going to come up in a minute and it was a it was a t- seven inch record it was at the blue epic label on it um and it was don't want to shut up your face um this would be in eight, late 80 early 81 so again i was about three years old my parents gave me a fisher price model 820 record player so most people when you think of that fisher price record player you'll think of the hard plastic little things that are pretending to be vinyl but they're not they're little basically plastic discs to play a tune on it but the fisher price model 820 was an actual proper record player and he could play proper vinyl on it obviously my parents must have thought you know we'll give him his own record player and go from there but i was given this i was given shut up your face i had a shaken stevens uh, record and something by shawadi i remember with the first couple of vinyls oh cringing hard mate let's leave it out there let's leave it out i know <laughs> i'm not gonna go too much down there but they, they were the first records that i ever probably owned probably because they were like rejects from everyone else so they just gave it to me just to mess about with to have some vinyl and something to look after you know this is a song, it's a real simple. See, I sing, what's the matter you? You sing, hey! Then I sing it the rest. And then at the end, we can all sing, ah, shut up your face. Okay, let's try it, really. Uno, two, three, one. 
So I thought it was interesting about this track. It was eight weeks at number one uh, in the UK and actually kept Ultravox's Vienna off the number one spot for three weeks. I know, that must have been so annoyed. <laughs> it's keeping Vienna off the number one spot, man. I know, you know, you take different people, you know, what are your guilty pleasures? And I will admit this is not a guilty pleasure because I'm, I'm not a massive fan of it. I had to include it just because it's the first record I ever owned. Did you see that Samuel L. Jackson clip I sent you? Yes. Yeah, that was brilliant. I, I had seen it I'd seen it before. It's hilarious and it's, it's utterly cringeworthy. Like this video. If you watch the video, touch it up your face. It is quite cringy. But there you go. Told you we'd fly through these, mate. Told you we'd fly through this. I know, I know. First quality tune in this slot, man. Jack Your Body by Steve Silk Hurley. Yeah, and this is a tune. I'm quite happy admitting, um, and if you've read any of my kind of interviews in the past or anything like that, um, then a lot of people will know this is the first record I ever went out and bought with my own money. So this would be 1986, so I'd be eight years old. So I was quite young when I started buying my own vinyl. Um, this isn't for DJing, this is just for listening to and stuff like that. Your Fisher Price turntable didn't have pitch control, no? <laughs> no, it had 33 and 45 days, so that, that was good enough. That was about it, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I remember, like, um, we had two places in the town where I lived. I lived just outside Oxford, and I was brought up in Oxford. Mm. Um, we had two record, record places. One was Woolworths, and one was a shop called NSS, which became Four Boys. It was like a, I don't know, it was a bit of, a, bit of an everything shop, a bit like Woolworths. And they had 99p record sections where you could buy little 12-inch records and things. Mm. And I heard this around a friend's house, um, and I think her mum was playing it. And then I was like, I remember just thinking, stopping and thinking, what is this tune? This is amazing, you know. And I found out what it was, and I went down to Woolworths, and I spent 99p on it. And then from that, I started buying all the, basically, all the house music that I could find. So yeah, the House House Chicago, the Greatest Hits of House, all those kind of Chicago House 99p vinyl, 12 inches. I could basically, you know, spend with my pocket money. That was all I bought. And uh, that was where I started buying tunes. It was incredible. You know, I, I love all that early kind of stuff. I had such an energy that you didn't get anywhere else. Yeah. Hey, you still, still got this one vinyl, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. I've still got it in my record box. Yeah. Um, I don't play vinyl much anymore, but I still got it. There's a few records that I'm always going to keep, and this is one of them. Yeah. Absolutely incredible track. And I remember, like, first hearing when it sort of broke, I go, I guess is the best word over here. And, and from then, the next couple of years was just amazing music wise I think from then on that was it I, I knew straight away that dance music and house music was what I wanted to listen to I don't have turntables anymore myself and I have like five or six records literally that's all I got left of all my collection one record I couldn't get rid of was CLS Can You Feel It again similar vein as this that was a great track what happened in the 90s and 80s man it's just nearer yeah well, you could tell around sort of 86, 87 yeah. that all this new music was coming in. And if you watch like old Top of the Pops episodes, which, you know, you can still get them all on TV here in the UK, um, you see between 86 and 88, just the whole vibe changing of the shows. You know, it, the, the, the music style changes, the, the way people dance changes, the whole graphics around Top of the Pops and other music shows around that time all changed. Things like Razzmatazz are just gone by now because they, they just couldn't keep up. It was just amazing. There's a BBC Four series on Top of the Pops where they go through each of the years and they go through what happened those years and all the music came and stuff like that. I saw it the other day, Mark Archer was on it. I was like, hey, Mark! <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice tie-in, actually, with one of the earlier shows that you've done. Enjoy this trip. Enjoy this trip. And it is a trip. I remember Jack Your Body and then this now, S-Express, again, was one of the huge tunes at the time that I remember as soon as I heard it going down to the shops and buying it and it had it was, a, it was such an amazing sleeve on the record because you had, you had the pure white background and it looked like a tube station almost, the, the, or a tube stop, the way the design of the, the cover of the vinyl was. And it was just such an iconic track, not just for the not just for the track as well, but actually for the, the whole uh, design around the label and everything else. It really stood out amongst everything else at the time. Guardian ranked 
Jack Your Body and Thief from S Express in their top 100 tracks of all time. Oh, right. Number 50 and 51. Yeah. Which way around do you think it was, though? Which do you think it was 50 and which do you think it was 51? Oh, I would have said S Express is 50, Jack Your Body 51, I reckon. Ah, minus two points, Dave. <laughs> Jack Your Body was 50. S Express was 51. All right. Either way, they're both amazing tracks. Yeah. I'll go back on that. I'll put them as equal 50. There you go. There's a, there's a nice sitting on the fence answer for you. Yeah. I remember, like, I was listening to S Express and Strings of Life, House Arrest, and then, like, things like Voodoo Ray, Little Louis French Kiss. I mean, everything was just amazing. And, mm. and I remember I would have been, yeah, 10 years old now, so this is 88. And we were told in our final year of primary school to do a, like a project. I suppose we were getting us ready for secondary school and we could do a project on anything that we wanted and I did one on Acid House. Yeah. So I'm this little 10 year old kid who's obviously into Acid House without knowing all the media scares around, you know, <laughs> yeah, acid and ecstasy and drugs and all the rest of it. I was just this kid who loved the music and dumping around in his bedroom to it. You know, I'm, I was raised a Catholic and I was at a Catholic primary school going in and giving him my, my first report on Acid House. I, I had to go and see the headmistress because I think, I, I don't know why, but um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they sent, my teacher sent me to the headmistress to explain why I did this report on Acid House, but uh, maybe... Maybe they were a little bit paranoid about what was happening to this good, good little Catholic kid. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them. I do like the Jackie Body one because it's more of a house beat and it's more of a you know hardish techno compared to S Express, which to me just felt like a bit of a, a gimmick track almost. I know a lot of people would be like, oh, nah, man, watch out, like you know. Yeah. But like this, this one samples over 14 of the tracks and it's just like a mishmash of bits and pieces. Whereas Jackie Body, it's more you know. I'd play Jackie Body in a set, but I wouldn't play this. Match. No, right. Okay, I'd easily play both. I mean, Jackie Body is more iconic and it's more it was more breakthrough at the time but a lot of music around that time was very sample based i mean you had things like uh, mars pump up the volume yeah classic which again is almost the same it's all samples and the drum machine a lot of the, the stuff around that time was was very much like that i think This is a great intro. Always loved the intro of this uh, track coming as well. Quite a lot of music from around 96 to 2000, which I was into, which, you know, is totally not rave music. It's not sort of happy hardcore or jungle or whatever. And around this time I was at university. This is when I joined the DJ society and really started getting into DJing as a skill rather than just playing records for mates around our house or something like that. I was, you know, starting to look at networking and all that kind of stuff to do with DJing rather than just playing tunes. And yeah, I, I remember this was one of the big tracks when I first hit university. And uh, yeah, we, we used to meet up on a su Sunday night. I was at Bournemouth University and the, every Sunday we'd go to a, a place called the Gardening Club, uh, which is this kind of posh bar, but on the Sunday night they just let the students in. And um, yeah, we used to take turns playing tracks. So, uh, you know, as much as I wanted to like play jungle and all that kind of stuff, because that was you know, the popular music if you weren't into dance stuff. Dance music was what the cool people were playing, so I spent a lot of time buying what I suppose is commercial dance music around that time. And yeah, we were playing sets in the student union, and I played my first DJ set at a place called Love Sexy, which was a lap dancing club when it wasn't the DJ society playing there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was cool. You know, it was my first couple of years at university, and it was a brilliant time for dance music as well, especially the late 90s was amazing, because you know, we used to go out on a Wednesday night to a place called the Cajuns Do, where you'd have like speed garage and dance and stuff. And Thursday night was trance, because trance was just getting going at that time. 
Friday night we go to a rave. There was adrenaline um, at a place called the G Spot in Blandford, which we'd often go to, and that was at least once a month. Um, and then Saturday was too expensive to go out because you're a student. And then Sunday you do a DJ society night. So five nights a week you're out either dancing, raving, or playing music. It was amazing. Absolutely loved that time. I could well imagine a DJ society where you're playing this as acceptable. You play a jungle tune, they might be like, uh, okay. Yeah. Play a second jungle tune, that's it, you're at the club, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, totally. And it, that, that was the weird thing because, you know, around that time, like I said, you'd have the speed garage and the dance music and trance, but you knew that the, the DJs were really ravers because no matter what night it was, whether it was the Wednesday night at the Cajun Zoo or the Thursday night at the Opera House, the last 40 minutes, was basically just old school rave and drum bass because you could tell it you know the people who wanted to go to pool or whatever it was had obviously found someone to go home with and you know that was all well and good and the people who were there till the very end were people who were proper dancers and proper ravers you know um and they'd always go mad for the last 30 40 minutes of the night so you'd always hear lots of quality old school and drum bass that you couldn't get away with any other time but yeah totally like you say you know you had to sort of fit in with the crowd a little bit which was fine i like that there was you know, tracks by like Pizza Man or Emotion. There's a track called Naughty North and Sexy South, which I remember was a big track around that time. And then stuff like Professional Widow um, and Rip Groove was a massive track around that time as well. So, you know, everyone was playing that. But uh, but this this track always reminds me of the first couple of years at university. And it's a great tune. Tori Amos lives in Florida. Uh, she also lives in Bude and Cornwall. She also got a house in Cork and Ireland. So there we go. I'm always trying to bring it back to the Irish connection. Oh, wow. Okay. So one one or two houses isn't enough. There's a lot of famous people that live in Cornwall. It's quite a popular place, isn't it? Because I know yeah. there's quite a few celebrities. I know Apex Spin lives down Cornwall way. Used to, didn't he? Because he was from there originally. But I was, I was thinking Cork because, you know, that's where your family name's from. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there you go. There you go, keeping it, keeping it connected, you know? <laughs> And also the lyrics for this as well, I was never too sure what the lyrics were, so I had to go and look it up. It's, Honey, bring it close to my lips, and yeah, I said it's got to be big. It's not the lyrics that you'd really want your children to understand, I suppose. <laughs> no. This kind of music and the real kind of the grooves and the bass line on it is music that was, you know, I spilled, I still, there's still a lot of tunes today that's using that kind of the groove underneath the house tracks. But before that, you never really kind of got, until 96 or so, you never really got the kind of funk underneath the house track that you really got from back then, that point onwards. I think a lot of the tracks before that were more Euro dance influenced. And I think it's only with about 96 that I think music that was house music really got funky if you know what i mean for want of a better expression a lot of house purists will probably completely hate me for saying that but that's just my impression you know what i really like about this track as you say is that bass line it's the loop there the, the bass that's underneath the kick like yeah 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 really funky yeah and i remember like when i was listening back to this the actual intro um, there's a lot of side chaining going on and I was like, God, I didn't even recognise that. Because now all bloody music nowadays is side-chained to an inch of its life. But even listening back to it, I was like, oh, Christ, you know, that's actually really well produced. <laughs> Mate, your ears must be diamond sharp because I would never be able to pick out side-chain in a track. <laughs> right. But no, I, don't, I suppose over time, you know, back then I would have had no idea. But I suppose it's only as you, as you produce. And nowadays, a lot of production is so good and this you know people's machines and setup so even at home is absolutely amazing compared to what 25 years ago mm. um which is scary to think oh god yeah god yeah yeah like you listen to stuff from the 90s like rave music from the 90s you listen to it now and it just sounds like fucking hell what'd you mess that through a tin can yeah i mean it's scary to think that that professional widow track is 1996 and that's now 25 years ago that's just mad you know to think that this track as well you know this is um, way out west's the gift it came out in the very end of 96 but it wasn't until 97 that i think it really got popular and the the production quality of this track is incredible like listening back to it now it's it's this it still sounds really really fresh yeah this kind of music i love as well i always feel i don't know enough about this kind of music i always like these kind of like i suppose chilled breaks i suppose is this genre but it's a genre i've never found it the right tunes i know there's tracks by way out west and, and tracks by hybrid yeah 
that have kind of got this breakbeat to it, but it's slower and it's more chilled. And I, I love this track. For a while, this was the track I wanted at my funeral. But um, that's been superseded by something else, which I'll get onto later in this show. I was going to say about ABBA earlier, I want SOS played at my funeral. Oh, wow. That would be such a cool tune, man. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I suppose, do you, want, do you want SOS to be the lyrics to your funeral? I, I, you know, I suppose from a comedy point of view, there is that. <laughs> it's already a sad song, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. anyone who hears it after my funeral will be like, going, oh, man, you're being floods of tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if anyone knows of more music in this particular style of this Wow West's The Gift, I don't know enough tunes in that in this style, and I'm always on the lookout for more artists that kind of got this chilled breaks vibe to it. I didn't actually realize this for a long time. So this samples an acapella, uh, the first time I ever saw your face, which quite a lot of people know. But the singer on this is a song called Joanna Law. And there's an acapella from 1990 of the first time I ever saw your face, which is what this, this line that you can hear now is from. And it's such an amazing acapella. If you, if you go and check it out on YouTube or something, the actual track this is sampled from is an amazing track and such a good singer. Yeah, there's some good music in the nineties. I feel like I overlooked so much of it because I was into all the all the really hardcore stuff or whatever stuff like this. Yeah, I overlooked it, and it's good to hear it again. You know. Chemical Brothers, I'm back into Chemical Brothers. I got a load of their CDs, Fat Boy Slim, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. In the 90s, I would have never listened to that. Whereas now I'm, now I'm a bit more matured. <laughs> I listen, I'll go back and listen to it. Now. It's weird, actually. Chemical Brothers, I've never really got into it. You'll say that there's a lot of people massively in Chemical Brothers, especially the old stuff. I've, I've never really got into it, which is a weird thing. I've, there's obviously something about it I just haven't clicked with, like everyone else has. Not that, that's not saying I don't, you know, I think they're any good because I know they're very good. But there's just something about it that's no clicks in the way, you know, that another group has done so for me. And this is my constant, constant search for why is it I like certain music and why is it I don't like certain music. Yeah. Like S Express, take that as a great example. Not my cup of tea, but I can see why people would like it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This track takes me back to being on the beach as a student at Bournemouth. And just We used to go down to the beach under the impression that we could actually do our revision on the beach, which never, ever happened. We'd take our notes, they'd stay in the bag, and we would just stay on the beach. It was great being in Bournemouth as a student, but it was horrendous because exam season was when the weather got good, and you just go on the beach. <laughs> Wasn't there a genre called acid jazz? Is that not? I don't know. As I say, if there is, I'll have to look it up after we finish talking, and I'll have to go on the YouTube rabbit hunt and see what comes up. Because there's also trip hop as well, which is another genre, but I wouldn't call it trip hop. No, no. I, 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 the next track that I've selected, which is coming in, I would definitely put under the trip hop genre, which is obviously Porter's Head, which. Yeah is probably one of my favorite bands of all time really actually they're, they're all fantastic every track i've heard it's been incredible from porter's head <laughs> I'd first come across Portishead at perhaps not a great time in my life, to be honest. I did a four-year course at university, and the third year was a sandwich year where you go off into the world of work and get a year's experience. 
and I was having a great time in Bournemouth and I thought you know what I'm going to stay down here and of course none of my friends were now there they'd all gone off to different parts of the country yeah. my other friends were back home and I, I really realised that I'd made a mistake and I had a really bad year where I was quite lonely living down in Bournemouth which is one of the worst towns to live in if you're quite lonely because everyone's either down for the weekend or on Herald Stag do's or on holiday and everyone's having a great time and you just you know you don't know anyone you just go back to your where I was, I was living in an attic flat at the time and maybe the music you come across at times in your life really responds to where your head is at yeah. if I was really into happy hardcore and a really good time in my life I might have just heard Portis head in passing and just ignored it because it's not the mood I was in yeah it speaks to you emotionally yeah that's it I very much listen to music that reflects my my mood at the time and I remember one Saturday night I was flicking through the channels wondering what to do with myself and I came across Portishead live from Rosalind NYC which was on Spotful and I was just absolutely transfixed for I think it was an hour and a quarter it was on or something like that and I literally just lost all concept of time and everything and it's the first one of the few times in my life where I've, I've heard something and just stopped mm-hmm. and it's, it's there's, there's a singer called Eva Cassidy who was also on TV on BBC2 top of the pops one day and again that's one of the other few times where I've just stopped and just lost myself in the in the singer's you know attitude and the vibe of what's playing and the whole Portishead live from Rosalind is just an incredible performance it's one of my favourite things of all time and through that I went out the next day and I literally bought the album Portishead by Portishead which is just full of incredible music and I picked this particular track from it because it was also because of this track that I discovered Chris Cunningham the music video producer who's also the producer who did Apex Twins Come to Daddy he did Square Pushers Come On My Selector he's done loads of different music and he again everything that he's done is amazing and I became a massive fan of Chris Cunningham's work through this track as well cool I'd never really followed a, a, a music video producer's work oh it's absolutely incredible by all means definitely if anyone's listening to this just go on YouTube and look for Chris Cunningham and his music videos are absolutely just amazing I can't state how good they are I went out and I bought his, all his work on again VHS at the time but the, the, the video for Come to Daddy, the video for Come On My Selector is just amazing. There's so many little things in it. He ended up doing PlayStation videos and he did a track, I can't remember the name of it is now, but it's, it's Something Is A Parasite, which is an amazing track. He did Rubber Johnny, which was on Warp Films. Everything he's done is absolutely amazing, but but this video of What Is Head's Only You is another incredible bit of uh, video production. And I, I discovered it all through um, Portis Head's album, which I discovered through their live performance. Of course, Portishead is not far from Bristol, isn't it? Because that's where the band are from, Bristol. That's it, just out of Bristol, if I remember rightly, yeah. And apparently it's named after where Jeff Barrow is from. Oh, right. Uh, apparently he doesn't like the place himself. doesn't like the place himself, but he names the band after it, so there you go. Maybe that explains a lot. Mm. <laughs> but everything about the Portishead album, the self-titled one, um, I don't... I know a lot of people rate Dummy a lot better than the main Portishead album, but... For me, um, Portishead by Portishead is one of my favourite albums ever. It's, it's amazing. And as I said, I didn't listen to it at a good point in my life, but it's what I needed to listen to at that point. I think it got me through a lot listening to that. That's the thing I always say, especially with these COVID times, you know, I think music is such a steady and constant thing in our lives. You can always listen to music and it'll always bring you to a certain place, you know. And, totally. You know, now more than ever, really, you need to remember that stuff. Now you're being all, oh, look at me, I know that's about music with Rachmaninoff. <laughs> yes, this is obviously, yeah, as you say, this is Rachmaninoff. This is Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini. This is Opus 43, Variation 18, which sounds like a lot like I know what I'm talking about. I could just recite the title of it. And not just reading it off the page, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you play it on the piano, though, Dave? That's the real question. No, I can't. I would love to be able to. This, I mean, this particular pianist is Cecile set on this version that you're hearing now and it's the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra uh, with I think it's Sir Simon Battle conducting if I remember my notes correctly but I chose this track because as I said at the time of my life when I was in Bournemouth and you know I was of course quite lonely but thankfully my grandmother lived 
not too far away um, and I'd go and spend a lot of time with her at the weekend and stuff when I wasn't working and by that point my grandfather died and she was sort of a widow and we spent a lot of time just getting to know each other but as adults I suppose you know your, your relationship with your grandparents as kids yeah. um, is different obviously to, to when you grow up oh sweetie time here's five euro yeah yeah that's it and I learned more about my gran during that year and this was one of her favourite tracks and I remember her singing along to this and sort of dardy daring along to it and this actually was composed in 1934 so my gran would have been a teenager at this time so this is like her teenage music if you know what I mean and this track always just reminds me of my grandmother so uh, yeah if I ever hear this this is my grand music or my grand's track you know There's a lot of great classical music out there. Most people, when they hear it, go, oh yeah, that thing, I know it, I know it, I like it, but I don't know what it is and they won't go out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll hear Beethoven or Mozart or something. I also didn't realise that Rachmaninoff is, uh, you might consider to be reasonably modern, 1873 to 1943. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he'll be definitely classed as the modern era because um, he's 20th century. Yeah. I, I did do GCSE music at school. Um, it was my best grade, actually, at school, come to think of it. Mm-hmm. And through that, you know, our music teacher, obviously, we had to study a lot of classical and baroque and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, but this this is my favourite, I suppose, classical track, you know. Um, yeah, Rachmaninoff is an amazing composer, and this is my favourite bit of classical music. It's very quiet though. Yeah, I never like quiet bits. Interesting to see as well, he fled Russia during the Russian Revolution, moved to New York in 1918. Oh, wow. It's amazing the things people go through, yeah. And he wrote this in Switzerland. There you go. I can read notes as well, Dave. I was going to say the music does pick up a lot after this, <laughs> so it's not all yeah. it's not all sort of slow and you know and, and sort of Sorry, moderately sorry. depressing music. But um, yeah. as I thought, as as the last track was about my grand, this one is about my dad. So this is by Don McLean, most people know him for American Pie, but this is Vincent from 1971. It wasn't just because my my father's name was Vincent, but this was his favourite track. And I always remember him saying, this is my favourite bit of music. And it's because of him, actually, I ended up being quite a fan of um, Van Gogh in the the art sense, of course. And we've got, you know, they've got Van Gogh art at home. We've got prints anyway, not originals, obviously. Yeah, sure. So yeah, just my Van Gogh downstairs. But yeah, Van Gogh is by far my favourite artist. Um, And this is my dad's favourite track. And it's the track, actually, we picked when my father died about a decade ago. It's the track that we had as the last track at his funeral, which I know it might not have gone down so well when you think about the lyrics. But um, when we were deciding what to do, there was no question in my mind. You know, it was his favourite song. Therefore, it's the last song we have. And screw what everyone thinks of the lyrics, especially towards the end. But um, but there you go. And I've always loved this song. This again, this song reminds me of dad. So uh, that's why I've chosen this one at this point in the mix. But it does go up. It does, it does get more upbeat from here. <laughs> and it's got a great combination of major and minor chords in this one as well, and a nice smooth melody. It's, it's really nice. It's very tranquil. That's it. There's, there's there's a lot of sort of you know moods in this track because there's points where it's it's very calm and very happy and then it it will just change and get a bit you know a bit despondent and then it will change back again before so it goes a bit all over the place and obviously you know the the lyrics are a love letter to Vincent Van Gogh and just it's the track where you can listen to it and really pick out very clearly what he's talking about yeah because it refers to painting starry night by vincent van gogh yes yeah yeah which actually is one of three paintings that he did and my favorite van gogh painting my favorite piece of art i think full stop is the cafe terrace which is an incredible piece of artwork because you know even if you look at the painting now the stars that he drew are in such precise positions that they could actually pinpoint the night he drew that painting because he got the stars in perfect position which is just one of many incredible things about that particular painting that i love i did not know that and when no hope was left inside on that starry starry night you took your life as lovers often do i didn't realize as well that van gogh killed himself i didn't know that either 
I know, I know. So, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you read a lot of the letters that he sent, you know, to friends and family and lovers and stuff like that, you get a real insight into his state of mind, where he lived in Paris or when he went to Isles uh, in France and, and different parts of that. But the Starry Night paintings, which is towards the end of his works, are all incredible pieces of work. And I know a lot of people like Starry Starry Night as his famous painting, but for me, the Cafe Terrace is the one. There's a slight diversion from the track there. <laughs> Go off into classical music and art and all the rest of it. It all feeds in, doesn't it? Uh, I always like the idea that as a creative person, you would suck in all sorts of different inputs from various different things, compost it in your brain, and then come out with new ideas. And those new ideas, people go, oh, yeah, but I can trace that to such and such. But it is all just like composting and then regurgitating and then coming out with something new. Absolutely. And, and you need to push it, push in all that different inputs to get some outputs. Yeah, yeah. To how you suffered for your sanity and how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they're not listening still Perhaps they never Now, this is an interesting one again now, Strife 2, You and Me Forever. Why did you pick this one out? 2013. Yeah, this, I mean, Strive 2 is a producer that is nowhere near rated highly enough in my book. Um, and he doesn't make much stuff now, which is a shame. So if you ever happen to listen to this, Robert, I want you to start making tracks again because I miss it. <laughs> um, but the, you, you won't be able to pick it out with us talking over the top of it, but the introduction to this particular track has got a, a quote from Little Miss Sunshine about someone who gets to the end of his life and looks back and decides that all the years he suffered were the best parts of his life because they made him who he was. So all the years you were happy, it's a total waste because you don't learn a thing. So, uh, you know, your, your early years at high school, the prime suffering years, you don't get much better suffering than being in high school. And I thought it's a, it's a great quote. And it wasn't until later that I discovered he actually put that into the intro to this track. But for this particular track, You and Me Forever, um, you can check it out on Liquidicity, I think, if that's how you pronounce it, mm -hmm. on, um, on YouTube. And he just mixes kind of piano music which he all plays himself it's all composed he, he it's not sampled he's actually written his own piano music for this it's none of it is sampled it's all you know apart from obviously the vocal sample he's he, he composes everything himself and it bridges perfectly what i feel is the gap between chill out and ambient and then drawn bass and there's an amazing reese bass going on underneath this so i was torn between this track and another track which is protaris but both of them equally are incredible pieces of drum and bass and some of my favorite drum and bass tracks and i wanted to include him because he doesn't get enough credit for what he did i don't think so everyone go and listen to his music because he's amazing and while you're doing that check out an australian producer called tom day as well who doesn't make drum and bass but he makes amazing piano chill out ambient music that's got a bit of an edge to it rather than just generic what i call generic ambient you know totally being a cast of an entire genre of music <laughs> this this whole music where it's kind of got an epic ambience to it um but with it over the top is just amazing but this particular track, You and Me Forever, and also Protaris, go and check those out because they're incredible pieces of drum bass music. And I could just play it loud and just full on as loud as I can and just kind of lose yourself in, in the, what, what, the waves of the music. It's, it's incredible. Because one of your many side projects, of course, is Endor, right? How's that yeah. going and what are you up to with that these days? Yeah, um, you say actually we started off the show by talking about a plug and I'm going to get to a plug at the end of the show. Oh, okay. Um, which I'll go on to at Endor. But um, yeah, it's, it's been quite quiet the last year. We went digital only. I say we, I, I went digital only with it um, last year. Well, we at the radio station know exactly what you're talking about, Dave. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we went digital with it because I wanted to get releases out quicker. And at the end of the day, there's been nothing released now for a while but there'll be something coming out soon which i'll get onto in a bit but i've been made i've been so busy writing tracks for other people and doing eps and things i've been probably in the last 
eight months is probably the busiest I've ever been in terms of writing music. And while I'm in that zone, I've, I've, I must admit, Endor's gone a bit, little bit to the side on that. Of course. Yeah. That's why you have many projects, right? I mean, I've got many projects. Oh, yeah. And anybody that has many projects is because it's where your energy is at at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the Endor project from the record label perspective, um, or I've got all the productions I'm doing, or there's the Eurovision album I'm organising, or there's I'm about to launch a website, which will hopefully be a music alternative to Facebook, but um, I'll mention that later on. Um, but yeah, it's all been busy, and Endor's the one thing that I always never quite get around to putting, putting enough time into, and I need to kind of maybe allocate more time to that. All right, so Strive 2, when we put the podcast out there, we have to make sure we put a link to his profile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Strive 2's music, the main tracks were like 2011 to 2013 or so. Um, there's another track called My Year in the Rain, and The Quiet White. They're all amazing pieces of music. I like a good, quite happy listening to them beginning to end, one after another, because every single one of his tracks is amazing. I mean, I can name plenty of other artists as well, and it's, it's kind of get, it does get frustrating sometimes, like, why is this person not getting the, you know, the attention that they should be getting? It's crazy sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. What kills me about that is that when those, when these people who I know who make amazing music, in my opinion, yeah. and then they just go, oh, well, no one really cares, I give up, and feel like, oh, man, the world's missed out. Yeah. And there's some people who make absolute shite, and they'll fucking spam it everywhere, and you're like, it's like Joe Dolce, Joe Dolce, shut up your face, and Ultravox are going, we've got this track Vienna, come on, people. <laughs> well, I mean, Strive 2 as well. I mean, because I said he, he's a, he plays his own piano and he composes his own tracks. And I, I got in contact with him through the Breakbeat Hardcore scene because he made some Breakbeat Hardcore tracks. And then it was after that that I found out about you know, the actual piano music he writes. And I was like, wow, you know, you should be doing more with this because it's amazing. All right, Alec Empire, no one gets out alive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is where I get kind of more, I suppose, energetic. My feet are even tapping on the floor, just hearing this in my headphones. And this is from the Destroyer album from 96 on Digital Hardcore, which is Alec Empire's own label. And Alec Empire's The Destroyer is the funny one because it came out when I was listening to Happy Hardcore and all the rest of it. And then suddenly out of left field came this fucking album, which was just, it just blew my head off when I first heard it. And I listened to it beginning to end. And I can't remember how I first came across it. It may have been John Peel on Radio 1 who was playing a track from it. I think he probably played The Destroyer or something like that. And I just remember it was another time when I just thought, Fucking hell, this is just insane, this music. And I'd like to be all cool and say, yeah, it was like, you know, it was the start of breakcore and all the rest of it. I was into breakcore from the start, but honestly, like, I first heard the Destroyer album in 96, and I just went and bought all the digital hardcore tracks that I could find, all the Akator stuff, all the Shizuo, and all the stuff that was around that time, because it just had this whole punk, aggressive, did not give a fuck about the way that other hardcore music was around the time and it was just its own thing and even the, even the kicks coming in now like oh it's just it's just amazing everything about it just the energy is just incredible i love it and the lyrics just nobody gets out of life just looped yeah it's just oh it's just brilliant Jello Biafra. I was trying to look it up before the show uh, to see if I could find the reference, but I couldn't find the reference. But I'm fairly certain that's Jello Biafra, who is of the Dead Kennedys. Oh, right, okay. But, uh, but yeah, the aim and breakbeat work on this, I'd never heard anything like it done before. There'd been. I can't think of a, an album before The Destroyer that I really mashed up Eamon's to the extent that this did. Obviously, it had Jungle and stuff, but 94, 95, that was real Eamon choppage and that. Mm. But nothing to this level of aggression and grit and dirt and compression and noise over it. You know, it was just, it's, it's completely its own thing. And it took me massively by surprise at the time. And I absolutely loved it. And I remember, like, coming back from um, the Sanctuary in Milton Keynes, we'd been to, like, the last rave that was there which was a, a slamming vinyl 
uh, versus Hardcore Heaven, uh, which would be 2003. And we'd just gone to this last rave where we were saying goodbye to our favourite rave venue and all the rest of it. And we got in the car and I played this album for my mates who were probably on the come down or something like that. I was driving, so I was straight. And I, I just put this on and everyone just started laughing because it was, you know, it's gone from happy hardcore, all sentimental saying goodbye. And I just get in and fucking play the Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just the whole punky sauce about absolutely love it. It's brilliant. It was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Alec Empire is part of Atari Teenage Riot. Some people say they pioneers of breakcore. Yeah. That's a long debate that I ain't going to get into. <laughs> uh, he grew up in Berlin on the eastern side of the wall, apparently. Um, and apparently on his way to school every day he'd see the patrol guards and the guns and all the rest of it and yeah. he says that's what influences music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you go on YouTube and check out some of the Atari Teenage Riot videos, they're just insane. And they're, they're real punks. You know, there's not... There's, you know, there's a lot of people who make the music and they they talk the talk, but you know when you when you see the videos of like ATR start the riot and stuff like that, you just it's just insane. They're on another level. You know, there's not many people who will actually go that far as, as what they did. And I know a lot of people, you know, say that Alec Empire might be a little bit up himself or whatever, but I, I, I like to separate the person and the music. For lots of different reasons i like to take music music on its own merit and i love the destroyer it's such a good album um, every track about it is amazing um, i could probably list the entire album off the top of my head you know every track in it but this is my favorite this just to be just a bit like just crank up to 11 type noise Oh, that's what I love about it. I just love the fact, the fact that you can just play this with your This used to be my go-to music when I was angry. Again, talk about music that you play that reflects your mood at the time. If I'm angry and I've had a shit day, I will put on the destroyer and I'll put it on loud. Conversely, this track is a track I like to wake up to. And for some reason, because my bloody Elector is, is messed up, it's no longer my, um, my alarm clock music, but this is normally the track that uh, wakes me up in the morning. Man, I tell you, if I had this playing in the morning, I'd be out of bed in two seconds shut, shutting it off. <laughs> oh, man. So out of that and into this. So what's this tune? It's the Apex VIP of Just One Second by London Electricity with um, Elsa Hedberg. who's also known as Elsa Esmeralda, which I almost can never pronounce correctly on the vocals. And this weak drum and bass. Oh, I can't be doing it, man. I can't be doing it. Again, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes around in the scene with you know there's a lot of people saying stuff about the you know, hospital records, and again coming back to what I said a few moments ago, um, I do like to listen to music on its own merit, and I try and block out any controversy or stuff around it. When someone's writing music, oh, I just think the music's shit. Uh, right, okay, <laughs> I, I just all this stuff is just it's just I, I mean I could go to sleep listening to this. It's just so weak. Oh right, it's okay, boring. Oh, I love it. I just oh. No, stuff like this. Oh, I didn't realise there's controversy. Oh yeah, there's controversy around hospital records and all that as well. Oh god. But um, but no, that's what I thought you were going with that. But uh, no. But no, I mean like you know, I'm not going to put on like breakcore or gabba to wake me up in the morning. That's too much for someone in their forties now. But the intro to this track is perfect to wake up to, I think, and it's nice and just easy to just wake up to it. And then you know, it will, it'll, the, the beat will switch up in a second, and it will get you know double speed. And I, I just, I just love the way it starts. It's, it's, it's a bit almost again. It's almost like a chill out track, but then it goes into drum and bass. All right, so I'll do a quick bit of fanboying because I haven't done any fanboying in this whole thing, right? But there is some drum and bass I do actually like. Right. That's Foghorn. And when I put that up on Facebook, who's going to do me a Foghorn mix? And you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, great. Day Skywalker doing me a Foghorn DMB mix. And I tell you, the amount of times I've played that mix in my car, <laughs> really, really loud. Oh, man. Just get all the windows rattling. <laughs> oh, man. I love that mix you did for me. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell you, go to my search history. Day Skywalker Foghorn. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I, I actually do have that as a go to mix in my car as well because I don't know. There's certain music that, you know, it's a bit cheesy, but I do like to put it on. And, you know, in the summer, I will roll the windows down and blast a bit of drum bass out because, you know, you've got to really. And I know, you know, you might pretend you might be a bit of an old person trying to pretend like they're 20 again in their bloody Voxel Astra 
going around and pumping tunes out, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> so uh, if I like music and I like drum and bass and I want to have the windows down, I will do and fuck you. <laughs> so, uh, but this isn't a track that I would play loud in the car with the windows down. It's not the kind of track. Um, but again, the lyrics on this, I think, you know, the, the lyrics in this particular track are amazing. If you go and check out the lyrics to this particular version, the VIP, of uh, just one second you know the tracks like you know lyrics like did you long for summertime when you were growing up and if this second was your life you know i i, I like i know i haven't probably done it justice but if you go and read the lyrics to this track it, i really love them on a complete tangent though because this is something i was thinking about the other day you know obviously your tune pandora and the bass on that is which i still to this day think is one of the best bass synths ever cheers why have you never done more why have you never done more of that um like i know i know it's a bit of a cheap thing to do to get that bass and put it in yet another track yeah, yeah. But you used it in that one track you had that to me it was like one of the greatest tracks you ever made um I, if it was me, I'd be putting that in every of the fucking record I put out. <laughs> I, it's a weird one. I like because I know there's a lot of producers who will make one track that becomes really popular, and then their next track will be almost exactly like it. Yeah. It's been seven years, man. Come on. I know. Yeah. But as soon as I make one track, I instantly get bored with it, and I want to try something else. So, you know, I mean, like if I make a drum and bass track, I want to try doing like I don't know, like a speed bass track, and after that, I want to try like a break chord track, and after that, I want to try like an old school track, which I know is really bad when you're a producer trying to make a name for yourself because nobody can put you in a box and yeah. say, why, well, I like Dave Scott because he's a happy hardcore DJ or something like that. Um, it's very hard when you're somebody who does a bit of everything to do that. And I suppose this is why lots of people have lots of different names. But uh, but no, like you said, I did use that bass line again in a Christmas kind of mashup track that I did. I did a remix of, oh, uh, Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. You did that originally. I can't remember off the top of my head now. It's not Shaken Stevens. It's Paul McCartney, isn't it? It is simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah. And I did a remix of that, and I've used that bass in that track just because of the juxtaposition of a, of a Christmas song and that fucking bass line. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, also, I don't, I don't use Massive a lot now when I, I've moved on to using Serum. I can still do the bass line in that, but I, but I don't know. I, I, like, I always like to try and do something different. So, uh, but you never know. Now you've persuaded me that I might just stick it into the next track just as a cameo. Man, I tell you, that is, that, that bass, a bit of DMB track, like, you know, Killer Whale or something like that, that sort of vibe with that bass, killer. Yeah. But I, I mean, I never like saying that to people because then they make it and go, hey, I made that track, what do you think? And I'm like, oh shit, that didn't work like I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all right, but it's not as good as Pandora, mate, to be honest, is it? <laughs> what do you think is your, what, what tra- of all the tracks you ever made, what do you think is your pinnacle? It'll be Pandora, yeah. Yeah, it would be. Uh, It would be. And not just because... It's probably one of the tracks I spent the longest making, actually. I spent ages on the on the, on the the breakbeats for that. But just because of the reaction, uh, the reaction it got, and even now, you know, all these years later, which is, what, eight years ago I made that? Eight years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even now, if someone says Pandora, people still call me Pandora on bloody internet chat boards. (laughs) They're like, oh, are you all right, Pandora? And it's like, right, okay, I'll go with it. (laughs) Because when uh, Mixmag reviewed the album that it came out on, they actually said that was one of the best tracks on it as well, so, you know. I know, it's amazing. I need to go look it up. And considering who else was on that album, it's like, someone else went. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I need to um, I need to go back and find that again, because I completely, the thing is I've got such a bad memory, and, I, and it wasn't until you reminded me that, that Mixbag did that, I was like, Christ, I need to go look that up again and, and uh, read back on it. I do have a folder or a keyboard, this kind of stuff, but um, 
Yeah. But I need to go back and check that out sometimes and just remind myself. Because sometimes, I suppose, as a producer, and I guess other, you know, I, I, I imagine other people go through the same thing. You go through periods when you really doubt yourself and you think, do you know what? I'm having a bit of a bad spell. I'm not really doing very good. Mm. Is it really worth it? And then I should I should learn to go back to read that kind of stuff again and kind of, you know, jizz you up a bit. Yeah. I mean, you've been over 20 years in the game, right? I mean, you had that platinum release come out, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, these are major landmarks. Yeah, yeah but the old boy now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Is that Scooter? The vocal? Um, I don't think so. I'll have to go and look it up. I don't think so. Because I think that, that well, the vocalists on this track are credited as Marlon and Bex. Right. So I think Bex is the female vocalist who will come up in a minute on this track. And I, which would make Marlon the person who shouts larger. Well, what's Scooter's real name? Maybe. <laughs> that would be a cheeky little dig. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is Helix with You Are Everything. And I first heard about this on the album Bonkers 2, which is still one of my favourite of the Bonkers albums, which, of course, um, was Sharky who put these together, uh, or Sharky and Hixie. And this particular track is one that always is uh, dedicated to sort of my wife. It's my wife's and my track, I suppose. Most couples have an R tune, and this is ours. Oh, lovely. And when we got married, this was the track that we finished the night off with. It was our alternate wedding dance, I suppose. We had a full-on rave at our wedding in the evening. We had, like, Lunity played, and, you know, we had, we had loads of DJs. A lot of our mates played, and it was it was, it was basically a rave up in, the, in, a, in a posh hotel. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Which is brilliant. But, yeah, I mean, we, you know, for, for our wedding dance, we had, I think we had um, Elvis Presley, I Can't Help Falling In Love With You, which I mixed into Ch- Chaz and Dave, Rabbit Rabbit, because my wife's called Chaz, so we had Chaz and Dave, and our, our, our um, bridesmaids all put rabbit heads in and then danced around and stuff. It was all stupid and fun. But this was really our tune. So, uh, yeah, whenever I think of it, if, 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 if my wife and I are ever in the same place and this plays, we'll always find each other's eye when this, oh, when this comes on. It's nice, man. You know, nice. It's, it's one of the best tracks. It's all lovely, lovely, and that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, well, you've got to the total roller coaster, then, haven't you? From the down of Portishead right up to the top of this Helix. You are everything, man, yeah. Yeah, I always like music that's got some kind of extreme to it. If I'm if I'm depressed and unhappy, Portishead is probably one of the, the best bands I, I can think of for feeling like that. Um, if I'm angry, Alec Empire, <laughs> you know. So uh, if I'm feeling depressed, I actually if I'm ever feeling depressed, I listen to Happy Hardcore. Always lifts me up. Oh, but it just lifts you up. You can't not be happy listening to Happy Hardcore. It's weird. It's a weird thing. If, if I'm in that mood, I want something to reinforce that mood. I, it's probably a self-destructive trait I've got. Um, but if, I, if I'm depressed, I will find the most depressing music I can because I want to feel depressed. <laughs> if I'm happy and I listen to Happy Hardcore, I'm like, God, what's this cheesy shit? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, put a, put a bit of Dougal on. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, happy days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a weird one because if if, yeah, if I'm if I'm in a if I'm in a, like, a low mood, I like it's a weird one. I like, almost like to see how low I can feel, which is a really self-destructive trait. But yeah, I don't know. And then, and then after once I've got that on my system, I'm I'm then then all right again. <laughs> so I was doing the digging on this one. I see this is also distributed by IDNT, the legendary uh, label from Holland, right? IDNT. Yeah. And I did realise actually for Irfan uh, Irfan van Ebike uh, Duncan. Schlutterheim and Theo Leo. Oh, oh right, okay. I didn't know. I never knew that. IDNT is the three guys that founded IDNT. There you go. Yeah. Thirty years later, or whatever, or twenty years later, you finally find this information out. It's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Because IDNT, I suppose, I always look at that as kind of like the the kind of um, the Dutch stroke Pengo. Uh, equivalent of like Electric Daisy Carnival in America, you know, from the from the two thousands or whatever. But I see IDNT is almost like the kind of Simon Cowell esque Goliath hardcore label, whereas Electric Daisy is the whole EDM thing from the two thousands. You know, it's an interesting one. It's a weird one because this kind of music, this, kind of, this is when hardcore was kind of losing its way for me. I was always a big fan of the breakbeat hardcore and then when the breakbeats got dropped and it became the more stompy upbeat hardcore only 
stay with it for a little while and by 97 I pretty much sacked it off entirely and got back into old school again it's already goes in towards stomping techno yeah yeah sort of Scott Brown stuff would that be almost yeah I mean yeah, around, around around this kind of time, around '96, was when the, the whole trancecore thing was trying to get going with like the great British techno, which I really wasn't getting into. Yeah, and I don't think many people really knew what to do around that time. And I think that's why the hardcore kind of died off for me, anyway. Gabba, mate, that's simple as. Yeah, <laughs> I did get to HMS a lot around that time. All right, so coming up to the last track, Vibina, Positive Energy, Part One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you can probably tell from the way you can hear my voice. I'm already kind of, I'm always, I'm just stopping myself from bouncing across the ceiling just at the intro to this because it is, for me, this is the perfect hardcore track. It is my favourite track of any time, any genre, fucking anything. This is the best track that exists ever. End of. <laughs> so normally when I do this show, I say to the people that I'm interviewing or talking to, I say it's okay if there's a bit of silence because uh, we let the track play, like you know. So yeah, five minutes to go. Uh, I just slip that in now. It's okay if there's a bit of silence. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's fine. I can talk over this because I got a good story around it. So, I mean, this particular track, this is Vibina is Positive Energy Part One, uh, 1995. It's on Universal Records, which is Slipmat's label, and this track is actually engineered by Slipmat. It's by a guy called Tim Kant, who happened to be one of the um, journalists for Future Music. And I first heard this courtesy of John Peel on Radio 1. When I first heard it, I took the newest cassette that was next to me, and I don't even know what was on it at the time. I put a piece of sellotape, which I had. I was running around like a mad one. I put sellotape over the little hole that you could allow you to record on the tape, and I just stuck it in, and I hit record, and I did not give a shit what was on this tape. And I just played this, and I was just in awe for the next few minutes. And then literally the next day, I went to two record shops because I lived, like I said, I lived in a place called Bista, which is just outside Oxford. And I went to the record shops and I went back and forth them and I basically hounded them for the next few weeks. They must have hated me. Um, but I said, look, if you find out what this track is, I will buy three copies of it. And I ended up buying like, there was a, like a vomit colored promo. There was the purple vinyl. There was a the black vinyl. And I literally have still got them. And I just went fucking mad for this track. And like I said, to me, it's the perfect track. It's the perfect hardcore track. In two minutes then, what are the best bits about this? Right. The piano, the way the piano goes, it's kind of got this weird echoing staccato thing to it, and it echoes and loops around. It's not like a full-on piano. It's kind of constant flickering floating piano it's got these stabs that you can hear in the background which is an amazing hardcore stab it reminds me a lot of a track called one for the vibes which is by remark on dollar records it's really uplifting little synth over the top of it that you can hear it's got the amen breakbeat in a minute you'll hear an amazing sweeping bass kind of evil synth on it which sounds a little bit like pandora actually comes to think of it and just everything about it from start to end is just incredible it's just fantastic and incredible and amazing and I can listen to this over and over and over and over again and I've never got bored of it for the last what 26 years <laughs> and while I'm here actually um, I can do one last little plug before this finishes um, and interesting you said about Endor because the next release on Endor is the Vibina versus Skywalker EP there you go oh wicked mate wicked so I, after a while um, I eventually got in contact with Tim Conn who is Vibina I basically fanboy gushed all over him for a while made him a little bit embarrassed and then after that, once I chilled out a bit, we then started to talk. And he did a track on Endor um, on Volume 2. And then the next EP we're doing is me versus Vibina on the next uh, Endor EP, which is an amazing circle in the way things come out. I, I love it. We didn't mention Bangface once, so I think we're doing pretty well, right? Yeah, we've done all right. And, and actually, if I... Bangface. I even skirted near it with the album, like, you know? I didn't even say it was the Bangface album that was out, like, you know? <laughs> no. So come on, I'm going to poke you for it. When do you reckon the next Bangface weekend is going to be? Do you reckon it's going to be March next year? Well, I... I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, yeah. It's, 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 I would say once once things improve, then stand by. <laughs> like many of the people, I think people are just waiting and seeing what happens when 
you know, when things get to a level that people feel comfortable about putting events on the things again, then you will just suddenly see a flood of events really start. Some people have already started on it. Uh, whether it's too soon or not, I don't know. I'm sorry for me to say, but I think as soon as things become clearer, everything will start up again. There's a lot of pent up energy waiting. And just for clarity, that is, of course, your personal opinion. You're not speaking on behalf of Bankface. Yeah, that's my personal opinion, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Dave, man, can't believe it. There we go. That's gone quick, hasn't it? But it, we always leave people wanting more. But yeah, it's, uh, thank you very much for asking me on. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll come around for round two. You'll have to do best of jungle or best of hardcore. I don't know. Yeah, I'm up for that. Best of foghorn. Let's go. Oh, wicked, man. Oh, well, cheers, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. It's been great. Say that to Shaz. And, and likewise, all of you. All right, mate. Take care. Ta-da. Bye. Right, bye.